only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Messages to be read this morning, found in Romans and 2 Corinthians. If you're using the, uh, the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 943, the reading in Romans. And then page 965, if you keep your finger in 943, 965 is the passage in 2 Corinthians. So we'll be reading from Romans 7, 4 through 6, then verses 21 of Romans 7 through chapter 8, verse 4, and then on to 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. Romans 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law of sin and death, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now page 965, 2 Corinthians. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, yourselves, are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. 
For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Word of the Lord. Let's uh, seek uh, our Lord's face as we come to His Word. Gracious Lord, we thank You for the great work of Jesus Christ accomplished at such a cost. What an unlimited passion, O Father, You have to transform our lives initially, progressively in our lives, and finally, completely and forever in the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. O Lord, You've done all things in order to glorify your name by doing good to your people. We praise you that your glory is tied to the benefits that we receive from you. Your glory is magnified by demonstrating how much kindness you can show to your people. Lord, we ask you now to pour out your grace into our hearts. We won't hear, we won't listen, we won't pay attention, we won't hide it in our hearts, we won't practice it in our lives. It will not transform us, Lord, unless your Spirit takes this Word and uses it in our hearts and lives. We thank you that this is your design. We thank you that you're more committed to do that than we could ever be in asking for it. So we ask these things in the precious name for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Real transformation is incredibly difficult. I'm not talking about a change of, say, I'm going to lose some weight or I'm going to improve in some areas in my work. I'm going to put in a garden finally when I've been putting it off for a long time. But... The change that is so essential, so critical, is changing so that I, from the heart, want God. Changing so that from the heart, I consider God and His will way more important than myself. And I have a passion and a joy in fulfilling His will and a passion and joy in spending myself for other people. And we've talked some about this in these past weeks as we've talked about this amazing contrast in 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks about the letter kills, that is, the law considered as simply a letter kills us and the Spirit brings life. We, you know, gave the illustration last week of the poison dart arrow uh, frog, especially the golden one that has enough poison to kill 10 people. We ask, how can something so beautiful be so deadly? And it's the same with the law. The law is glorious, it's holy, it's good, it's spiritual. And yet, it's deadly to us as we stand in the flesh, as we stand in our natural condition as human beings. We talked about how the law first exposes our sin. Uh, As Paul talks about it in Romans 7, he says... The law tells me about covetousness, and I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have experienced covetousness if the law hadn't come and told me about it. So the law explains to me just how covetous I am. 
it brings it out in all of its technicolor. And what was maybe just a quiet buzz in my head becomes kind of a, a cacophony, a loud, thunderous noise of my sinfulness in regard to covetousness. And I realized I was covetous before, but I realize now I'm sinning against God in this. I, I'm rebelling against God in my sin. So the law comes to us and exposes our sin, but then we saw it not only exposes it, it increases our sin. We become more sinful even in the presence of this holy and good thing. Commentator Cranfield talks about this. Talks about how, we talked about this, how the two fundamental requirements of the law, Jesus brings them out. It's loving God with all of your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all of the commandments hang on those two. It's like if you have everything in the Old Testament and you trace it up, what's it hanging on? What are the nails that it's hanging on? Every single commandment, love God, love people. That's our problem. That's our problem because self comes to that command of spending ourselves for God and people. And it's like, uh-uh, no, no. <laughs> Time out. I ain't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to spin myself in that way. It's like when Linus said to Lucy, I learned today that the world revolves around the sun. She says, I thought it revolved around me. <laughs> and that's what we all think. It revolves around me. So Cranfield says this, Challenged by the law which claims man for God and for his neighbor. Okay, The law claims you for God and for your neighbor. Man's self-centeredness, the sinful ego, recognizes that it is being called in question and attacked and so seeks all the more furiously to defend itself. It's not there's any problem with the law. The problem is my heart. The problem is my commitment to self and the law demands selflessness. The law demands spend yourself for God. Spend yourself for other people. And everything in me rises up against it. But this is not sounding good so far. Exposing my sin, and in exposing it, it even exposes why when the good law comes to you and commands you, you get worse. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. So in this situation of needing to change from the heart, from the inside out, this external law word doesn't do anything for me. It just plunges me deeper into my own sin. It shows how sinful I am. And then the other thing we talked about is the, the law then condemns us. It pronounces judgment upon us. It pronounces that we deserve the eternal judgment of God because we are committed to our idols. We're committed to self. Well, that's why Paul can say in this shorthand in 2 Corinthians 3 uh, that the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. And I want to look at that second part, the Spirit gives life. Explore that a bit this morning. And I hope that it will encourage you to see how we are changed by the Spirit of God. How are we changed by the work of Christ? Because as we'll see, we're not transformed by a law. We're transformed by the action of God in Jesus Christ. We're transformed ultimately by the horrible suffering of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that your transformation had to be accomplished at the greatest cost of God. 
amazing? And it should encourage you that, you know, perhaps there is a possibility of change because God is all in about change. He has committed himself completely and ultimately, absolutely through his son to change me. How will he not? How will he not change you? He's given his son, not just for your forgiveness, but for your transformation. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. The spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Uh, I would like for you to look with me uh, back up to Romans chapter 7 on page 943. If you're in, and if you don't have your own Bible, please use the Bible in the pew. It, it's always helpful to look at what we're talking about. Uh, we want you to not be in question of, of whether we're talking about what's in this book, because that's all we have, which is this word we believe is from God. I wanted to point out one thing. This is kind of a parenthesis. Because it's easy when you start hearing about the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And especially this language in Romans 7 that we read. Remember, as we've talked about in this past weeks, Paul has the analogy of a woman whose husband dies and then she's free to marry again. And he uses that as a kind of platform to talk about how we've died to our relationship to the law and we've been married to Jesus Christ, united to him. And so as we were uh, in this treadmill of death and sin that the law had us in, we, we only had one course. We had to be cut loose from that and connected to Jesus. But it's easy to think then that I have now no relationship to the law whatsoever. I have nothing to do with the law. I have nothing to do with the morality of the law, the requirements of the law. But that's not what he's talking about, and I, and I think... Using spirit and letter is very helpful. It's not the law itself. It's that if we just have the letter of the law and don't have the spirit, if we just are seeking to obey the law in its outward form and we don't have the heart of it through the spirit and through faith in Christ, that's where the deadly thing comes. Let me just mention a couple of things to show that we can't just jettison the law. First of all, we just talked about it. What is the requirement of the law? Well, love to God and love to people. Do we think then, oh, well, we don't have that requirement anymore? Of course not. It's not that we're set free now from the fundamental heart of the law, which is to love God and love people. No, we know that, no, that's what Christ enables us to do, is to love God and love people. So it can't be that we have nothing to do with the law anymore because the law is about love. And then a second thing that's very important is to realize in the new covenant that's stated in Jeremiah 31, one of the things God says in verse 33, I will put my law in their hearts. He doesn't say, I will do away with the law in the new covenant. We will not be dealing with the law. No, he ratchets it up, doesn't he? It's not just going to be external to them. I'm putting, I'm putting the law in their hearts. It's going to be an inside-out thing in a way that it hasn't been generally for my people. They're going to love the law from the heart because I'm going to write it in their hearts. I'm going to put my law in their hearts. So we need to understand that this being cut loose of the law is being cut loose from a bad relationship to the law. When our own flesh alone was attached to the law and therefore the law condemned us and exposed our sin and increased our sin, we had to be cut loose from that 
a treadmill of, de- of sin and death. And we needed to be released and joined to Christ so that now, through Christ, we can live out the law of love in a way we never could before. So that's just a little parenthesis to not get confused about, well, no more law. Well, it's just a different way to come at the law now through the forgiveness and grace of Christ and through the Holy Spirit that enables us to live out that law of love. Okay, with that in mind, would you back up to Romans chapter 2? Very important passage in page 940, verses 28 and 29. Paul has been, in chapter 2 of Romans, pointing out to Jews that their outward obedience and their rest in their outward uh, rituals, like circumcision, will get them nothing in the end and means nothing in the end. And so this is a good place for us to begin because he's got that contrast again of letter and spirit. Letter and spirit. But it's explained a bit more, and I think this is a helpful place. Verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, this indicates that you could perhaps not even be circumcised and could be considered a Jew from a spiritual viewpoint. In other words, you could be considered a part of the people of God with with or without circumcision. But you notice how he puts it that a Jew is not one who has conformed to these outward things. And when he says, uh, not by the letter, he perhaps means even here, the letter or the command to be circumcised. Well, you say, well, I've obeyed it. I'm circumcised. I'm in. I'm with the people of God. He says, whoa, that doesn't make a Jew, a true Jew. That does not make you truly belong to God. It does not make you a new person and truly related to God. Because that transformation is of the heart not just obeying an outward letter or command. And it's interesting because this isn't something new on the scene. This was back in early Israel. Uh, For instance, in uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 41, when God's talking about His judgment on the people of God if they turned away from them, and when they come back to Him, He says, "...if you humble your uncircumcised hearts." Well, they were circumcised. That's not a question. But their heart wasn't circumcised. And he contemplates a time when their uncircumcised heart might be humble and they would give themselves up to God again. So you see, the issue always was, what about the heart? And then in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, he actually has this command. He says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now, you have to pardon God from being so explicit there. Uh, but he's God, so he can say whatever he wants to. You see how graphic that is and how he's wanting to, to you not to miss the point that this outward act is to have a corresponding act on the heart so that sin is removed, so that the heart is no longer hardened against God, but the heart has been affected, it's been transformed. 
In, a, in other words, this outward surgery is to indicate a heart surgery that has to happen. A heart surgery, a heart change. And this was way back then. And later in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, a fascinating passage because here again God is talking about restoring His people. And He says, in that day when I restore you, I will circumcise your heart so that you will love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. Whoa, now we're getting to the heart of the law. The heart of the law is loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And he says, I will circumcise your heart so that you will love me. The indication is, unless I circumcise your heart, unless there is this spiritual heart surgery, you will not love me. You cannot love me. So we don't need to think that this statement by Paul is like, well, let me bring out a whole new idea that nobody's ever thought of before. And now we bring, no, this is always the case. A true Jew is one who has the heart circumcision. And he's reminding these Jews of their own heritage, you see. And it's of the Spirit. That's why Jesus, it's interesting when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's talking about the Spirit and the need for the Spirit to bring new life to a person, and Nicodemus doesn't seem to be able to understand it. And Jesus is like, Nick, 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 come on. He says, verse 10, you are a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? How can you not understand this? This is, this is a vital part of the Old Testament that the Spirit must transform you. And probably at that point, he's even thinking about Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will put my Spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. See? It's because the Spirit is in us that we would be caused to walk in His statutes. In that same context, He says, I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in a heart of flesh. It's just another way to say, I'll circumcise your heart. Because you've got a heart that's not responsive, that's cold and hardened to me. I'm going to put a heart in that's warm and responsive. That's alive, not dead. See, seeing these ways in the Old Testament... Whether he's talking about circumcision or talking about I'm going to take out the stony heart and put in a, a fleshly heart and I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways, this is a vital part of how transformation occurs. But you see, the contrast here is it's not of the letter, it's of the spirit. Because what had happened in Jewish thinking was that they depended on the outward words of the law, the outward rituals of the law, and they rested on their heritage and the fact that they were Jews by these outward signs. And the heart of the matter wasn't there. It's interesting at the end of Romans 9 when he's talking about the Jewish reaction. Like, what has gone on that the Gentiles are responding to Messiah but the Jews are not responding to Messiah. And at the end of chapter 9, he says, they pursued this law as if it were based on works and not faith. Well, that would be another evidence that their hearts were not renewed. And they were using the, the, the law of God as a performance to God, as a way to obligate God to do them, to, to accept them. 
And it was not a matter of faith. It was not a matter of brokenness. It was not a matter of trusting God to renew my heart and forgive me of my sin. It was not that at all. It was merely resting in these outward signs that I'm a Jew. And that's why, by and large, the, the Jewish nation and Jewish people all around the Mediterranean basin did not trust in their own Messiah. Paul says later in Romans, there's a remnant, and he's part of the remnant. The apostles were part of the remnant. And the the 3,000 that were converted on the first day of Pentecost, they were part of the remnant. And that grew to be 5,000 largely Jewish people. They were Jews for Jesus. That's the way we started. But there weren't many after that, proportionately. Most of the Jewish people because they were not circumcised of heart, because they would not trust in Jesus Christ. It's that the presence of Christ brought to the forefront, it made it very clear where their heart was in regard to Yahweh all along. See, that's what happened. When Yahweh showed up in the flesh, they rejected Him. When Yahweh showed up proclaiming that you rest in grace alone, they wouldn't have it. And what they felt toward Yahweh all along and how they regarded Him and didn't truly love Him from the heart, it manifested itself even more in the presence of Christ. And that's why Paul, and we've talked about this before, but that's why Paul in Philippians 3, as he's talking about his fellow Jews, he says, look out for those that mutilate the flesh. And he uses a word that's almost like circumcision, but it has a little bit different beginning. But it has the same word for cut, okay? So he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we, you Gentiles, me, a Jew who trusts in Christ, we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now Paul says, all of those Jews who've rejected Messiah, their circumcision that they're depending on, he says, it's a mutilation. That's all it is. It's a mutilation because they have rejected Messiah. So you see, here's the way we are transformed. Not by some set of rules or even the law of God itself in the first place coming to us and telling us what to do and then we just become conformed to that word. No. It takes a miracle. It takes a miracle for you to become a boy or girl or man or woman who loves God from the heart. It takes a miracle for any one of us. It takes an, you know, we talked about, you know, it would take an act of God for that to happen. (laughs) It'll take an act of God for you to love God from the heart and to spend your life for God's glory and to spend your life for His glory in giving yourself away to other people. It'll take an act of God, and that's what Paul says here. It's a circumcision of the heart that only the Spirit can bring about. The good news about that is that God is infinitely eager to do that for anybody that will trust Him. So the possibility of change, it's not just a possibility or problem, it's a certainty if you will trust in Jesus Christ. 
Real transformation for you to become an other-centered person. One of the texts, Amy's text this morning, was so appropriate. So, as all those were in one way or another. That one said, he died so that you would no longer live for yourself, but for him. Circumcision of the heart. Transformation so that I'm not committed to me anymore, but I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to God. Well, I want to uh, close then. The last passage is the other one we read in uh, Romans chapter 8. If you look with me there on page 944. After talking, we're going to study uh, Romans beginning this fall, uh, you know, beginning to end. And uh, we'll get to this in more detail, but... I believe in chapter 7, he's, he's talking about that whole terrible process of frustrating death that occurs under the law. And now in chapter 8, he hearkens back to chapter 7, verse 6. He says, now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We read this. So that we serve not under the old written code. That literally means letter. Under the old letter but in the new life of the Spirit. And he comes back to that now in verse 8. I mean, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. Now in this new life in the Spirit, not under the old written code, now we are released. Now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the word condemnation here not only means judgment because of sin. It not only means punishment because of sin, But it includes the idea of the bondage and death of sin. Because notice what he says in verse 2. The law, and in this case, read law as principle or powerful force. Governing principle in your life. The governing principle now of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the governing principle of sin and death. That was operative when you were connected to the law in your flesh. And see, this goes back to verse 6. You've been set free, released from the law, died to that which held you captive. Now you're in the new life of the Spirit. So he's coming back to that. And he says, the law, notice he says, what the law, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law couldn't change me. The law can't change me. It can expose my sin. It can be the occasion where my sin increases under it and it pronounces judgment upon me, but it won't transform me. Not because there's anything wrong in it. It's because of the weakness of my flesh. It's because my sin is so great. It took something far greater than the law to rescue me. It took the death of the Son of God to rescue me. That's what it took. And that's what he says here. What the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is amazing. Our sin, the sin of man, was put upon Christ and he was punished and crushed. He was in agony under the very wrath of God. But what Paul says is... In as sin killed Christ through that process of his death and resurrection, Christ killed our sin. 
He destroyed its powerful hold on us. That the word condemn means more than just condemning it as wrong. It means that he judged it, he destroyed it, he crushed sin in the flesh. In his flesh, he crushed it. And notice in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It took nothing less than Jesus Christ being crushed by our sin and the judgment of God and all that the law called for our judgment, it fell upon Him. But in so doing, He blew sin to pieces. He released us. And that's the thing you think, well, couldn't God have just given us His Spirit and just released us and given us a new power to... Quit living the way we did? No. Because the law pronounced judgment. The law pronounced judgment. And in that condemnation, there's this process of sin and death. It was nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ to release us from the dominion of sin. That shows His passion to recreate you. It shows that He'll go to any length whatsoever to transform you. You and I must believe that. We must believe in the almighty God's unending, unlimited passion to do us good by transforming our lives, by causing us to be those who love God and love others from the heart. It's impossible. It takes an act of God, and the act of God was in Jesus Christ. Because it was only as Christ died and was raised from the dead that He was exalted to the Father and He poured out the Spirit that transforms our lives. He could only give us the Spirit in such abundant measures because He died. He died for us. And so I ask you, anybody here, you may be visiting and you've got all kinds of struggles in your life and maybe... Obeying God is not on your radar, but it is what you're made for. I I spoke recently at a a funeral, and I talked about God making us, and we're we're made like a fish is made for water, okay? There it is. It's got the fins. It's got the gills. It's got the scales. It's got the little oily stuff that helps it slide through the water. It's just built for the water, and you are made for God. You're made to delight in Him. You're made to treasure Him. You're made to enjoy Him. You're made to trust Him. You're made to give up your life to Him. You're made to obey Him. But it'll take an act of God. It'll take an act of God. It took the act of God in Christ Jesus. And now the resulting act of applying that death and resurrection to your life through the Holy Spirit. So the beginning of real transformation so that you become a piece of the light in this world and not the darkness is coming to Jesus Christ and saying, where else would I turn? Who else do I have but the Son of God who laid down His life for sinners? And the eagerness is measured in Ephesians 2. I I love this statement. I, I prayed it earlier, but where he says... But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. 
That's not talking about forgiveness. It's talking about transformation. It's talking about God finding you dead, finding you committed to sin, finding you selfish, finding you without any change in your life, transforming you, transforming you, raising you from the dead by mercy. Not because you deserved it. Not because he saw, you know, I see little sparks of goodness in him and he looks a little better than the person on the left and the right. No. Dead. Dead. And he raises you from the dead. So I encourage you. God is infinitely eager to pour out his blessings in your life. And brothers and sisters, will you make this a regular part of your prayer life? Will you pray Always, when you're praying about sin in your life, undergird your prayer with this kind of faith. Oh, Lord, you are the one who died to set me free from sin. You are the one who's given your spirit. You're the one who passionately gave yourself in order that I would have a new heart and a new life. I know, Lord, you will take hold of me in this area of my life that I just can't seem to get around. I can't make any change. Oh, Lord, save me. Expect Him to do that. Expect Him to lay hold of your life continually. He has given His Son to set you free. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we will obey what Paul has told us, even here in Romans. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Consider ourselves, Lord, having been released from that downward spiral of sin and death and the frustration of the law's commands. And now we have forgiveness in Christ Jesus. He has met the law's demands. The Lord has been punished in our place. The Lord has lived a righteous life on our behalf. We can trust Him and have all of our sins taken away We can trust Him and have a new righteousness covering us, becoming our beauty in Your presence, O Father. And You give us Your Spirit to begin working in the innermost depths of our lives, springing forth from within, as Jesus said, a new life, a new river of life. O Lord, thank You that there is forgiveness and transformation And you take us from the letter that kills to the spirit that gives life through Jesus Christ. Oh, bless us and encourage us and strengthen us. We seek your glory and your honor. And oh, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ, draw them even now that they will say, Oh, Lord Jesus, I put myself into your hands. Forgive me and change me. Take me, oh, Lord Jesus, and make me your own. These things we ask, Lord, in your name. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?